Take your Bibles out and turn with me to the book of Romans, the book of Romans. If you have a, a Bible that we provided, I think it's somewhere in the 700s. I think it's the, the page number it's on. But Romans chapter 1, it's right after the book of Acts, right before the books, book of 1 Corinthians. So if you're in the New Testament, it's on the second half of the, of the Bible. So go ahead and open it up there. And uh, this week begins uh, our new summer series as we're taking a look at the book of Romans. So for the next eight weeks, nine weeks or so, we're going to be walking through the first four chapters of the book of Romans. And so many of you, I know it's summertime and uh, you're ready for summer vacation. Uh, You're ready to take that journey wherever you're excited about going, whether it's Florida, whether it's up north, the beach, uh, wherever you're going. I know we are people that like to be on journeys, right? We like to take trips. We like to go from here to there. And this summer, um, our journey is going to be to walk through on Sunday mornings our, the first four chapter of the book of Romans. Now, if you're anything like me, uh, journeys in your family were very, very stressful. I don't know if, if like, it wasn't the time where, especially when you got ready to go and the time you got home or the time you got ready to come home, journeys in your family may be like mine where those are like the most stressful times. Like, it's not, let's all go, everyone gets excited, we get in the car, everyone's happy, and then we just keep on going, and it's just this beautiful thing. If your family was like mine, it was like right before, 10, 10 hours before we go, stress level just rises, people get start yelling at each other, and everything just becomes this horrendous horribleness, and you're like, well, I don't even want to go on the vacation anymore. I don't know if you got, your family was like that, but that was like what it was in, in my family. And I pray that our journey this summer as we walk through the book of Romans isn't going to be much like that. I pray that this is going to be a time where we come to the word of God and allow the word of God to, to change us. We allow the word of God to, to shepherd us. We allow the, God, the word of God to just speak over us. But I'm also reminded about another movie I saw one time about, about journeys. And uh, you guys ever seen the movie The Christmas Story? You know the movie The Christmas Story where, where Ralphie and his whole family are, are getting in the car and they're going down to pick out the Christmas tree, right? So they go downtown, they go to the lot, they get the Christmas tree on the car, they're bringing it home. And what happens to the tire on the way home? They get a flat tire, right? And so Ralphie being the young boy and his dad being this kind of gruff guy that doesn't say a whole lot of words, but a, a good father figure in, in some sense, in some weird way, kind of like my father, but in, in other ways, just, you know, just a wholesome kind of movie in, in a sense. Well, they're going and they're fixing the tire. Ralphie gets a chance to go out there and, and help his dad do his thing that his dad does. Remember, his dad's like the, the pit crew guy. He wants the time to see how fast he can change the tire. Well, Ralphie goes out there and and part of the, the tutelage or the mentoring that he does for his son is he takes him out there and allows him to be a part of that. And what happens while they're out there? The bolts go flying and Ralphie says, oh, fudge. But he doesn't say that. But he messes up royally right in front of his father. And his father has the opportunity to be the father because he knows that his son is messed up. And the son knows that. And sometimes in that moment, that's how we kind of feel when we come to journeys with the Word of God. We feel like Ralphie. You know, we look at our lives, and we come to the Word of God, and we look at our lives, and we're like, man, I really messed up. We know it. We know that we're not measuring up to the standard that we want to be or the, the, the standard that society gives us. 
And then we come here and we feel as though we're Ralphie, as the word of God is going to be speaking, spoken over us. God is going to speak to us. We feel as though there's condemnation and we feel as though there's shame and we feel as though there's all of this, this pain. And I want us to see something very different. When the Lord speaks over us words of challenge and words of correction, they're not words that we hear from some earthly fathers. For at times in lives, we hear words from earthly fathers that really hurt us and cut us to the core. Where a, a heavenly, or an earthly father may say to his son or to his daughter, you're worthless, you're meaningless, you're so stupid, I wish you weren't born. Now we hear words like that from earthly fathers, but we never hear that from our heavenly father. What our heavenly father always speaks over us is always words of truth. Now, it's going to hurt, but it's going to be different in the sense that he speaks words of truth over us. He'll say things like, you have sinned. You have fallen short of my glory. I mean, think, think back, to back into the garden when Adam and Eve, for the first time, were naked and ashamed. They realized that they had, they had violated the commands that God had given them. What does the word of the Lord say over them? He doesn't say you were so stupid. He doesn't say you're meaningless. He says, what is this that you have done? It's as though his words cut so much to the heart, but they're words of truth that he speaks over his children. And so as we walk this journey through the book of Romans, I want us to see that we are going to hear a lot of hard things from the word of God. Those hard things that we hear from the word of God, I pray that you do not receive them as though the Lord is, is seeking to, to um, make you feel as though you're worthless. Because you're going to see that because of God's great love for us, he gave us the greatest gift in his son so that we who are fallen people could be redeemed and brought back to a heavenly father and have that relationship with god restored so we're going to be on this journey this summer through the book of romans and i want us to see that this book that that has been written by through the holy spirit through the hand of paul that he gave to the people of rome that now we have today has been very meaningful and been transformative in the life of many many people we can go back to the fourth century and we can see that when saint augustine he wasn't saint augustine at that time but when augustine began to look at his life he began to be drawn to the word of god and he read Read through Romans chapter 13, verses 13 and 14. And this is what he read that radically changed his life. He says this. The word of God says this. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in orgies or drunkenness, not in sexual immorality, not in debauchery, not in dissensions, not in jealousy. Rather, clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. What you need to understand is prior to this, Augustine was a man that was filling his life with all of the worldly pleasures that he could fill his life with with drunkenness and with orgies and everything else he could possibly fill his life with. And at the end of that, he realized that they still were not giving him the joy that he desired. And then he comes to this passage. And this is what he writes as a a response to what the Lord did through Romans chapter 13. He says, No further would I read, nor needed I, for instantly at the end of this sentence, by the light, as it were, serene, serenely infused in my heart, all the darkness of doubt vanished away. This was transformative in the life 
of Augustine. For from this moment, he begins to change his journey, his path was no longer for himself, but it was for the Lord. The book of Romans has also been transformative in the life of someone such as Martin Luther in the 15th century. For he reads Romans chapter 1, verse 17. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. That passage alone was the passage that the Lord used to infuse Martin Luther's life so much so that that's what began the launch of the greatest reformation the church has ever known. John Wesley, I don't know if you know him, he's the founder of the Methodist movement in the 18th century. As he's reading Luther's preface to his commentary on the, the book of Romans, he reads, he read Luther's preface, and this is what he says. About a quarter before nine, while I was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for salvation. And assurance was given me that he, was, he has taken away all my sin, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. Now, if you know anything about John Wesley, God used John Wesley to go on and begin another spiritual movement that awakened so many this book that we are beginning, or this letter that we are beginning to walk into has transformative power in the life of those that will listen. Because it is the word of God that changes the hearts and minds of people. And I pray this summer, as we walk together through this letter, through this book, I pray that the power of God would work so greatly in your hearts and minds that it would transform everything about us, that it would begin on the inside. As you hear something week after week that begins to just spark an interest, or maybe it begins a question in your heart, that you would mull over it and allow the word of God to begin changing you from the inside out. That's my prayer for myself, for I know that today I stand before you not as a man that's got it all figured out. I stand before you as as a fellow traveler seeking to know this great and glorious God more and more every single day. So let's begin looking in the first chapter of this wonderful letter to the Romans as Paul begins to write. I want us to read Romans chapter 1 verses 1 through 17 this morning. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as to his human nature was a descendant of David, and through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ our Lord, through him and for his great name we receive grace and apostleship to call people from among all the Gentiles to be obedient that comes from faith, to, to obedience that comes from faith. And you also are among those who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because of your faith is being reported all over the world. God, whom I serve with my whole heart in preaching the gospel of his Son, is my witness. How constantly I remember you. In all of my prayers at all times, and I pray that now at last my God's, by God's will, that the way may be open for me to come to you. 
I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gifts so that you may be strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I planned many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I've had among the other Gentiles. I am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are at Rome. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and thank you for this time. Father, will you speak in these next few moments? Father, for those of us that need a word of encouragement, would you encourage us through your word? Father, for those of us that need a word of correction, Father, would you correct us in this time? Father, for those of us that just need to hear you, Father, would you speak, maybe even for the first time? Father, help us to listen and help us to obey. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As we open up this letter that Paul writes to the Romans, I want us to see that as, as he kind of sets the, sets the stage of what is going on. Paul has heard about the church in Rome. And he's now sending them an introductory letter of himself. So what he's doing is he's wanting to share with them a little bit about himself before he comes. So they can test it and so they can uh, approve him as a messenger of God. And so he says, here's my letter. I'm going to tell you everything that I believe. I'm going to tell you what I'm going to come and tell you, what I'm going to show you. So here it all is for you to test and approve before I come. And so what he basically does in the whole book of Romans is Paul begins to lay out his systematic theology. He begins to tell them all the things that he knows, all the things that he believes, all of this which is about God, Christ, and the gospel. And he begins to just unpack all of this. And he begins just over and over and over telling them all about how all of this fits together in God's wonderful plan. And what I want us to see as we walk through this book of Romans, that though this is a book that's focused deeply and steeped deeply in theology, that theology always serves missions. Theology always serves missions. What we believe about God, what we know to be true about God, will always inform us and change us in what we do. For if we believe that God is Santa Claus, that we go to and say, all I want is all of these gifts. If we believe that about God, that will change the way we respond to God. God will only become Santa Claus for us. And so what we know to be true always informs what we do. And so in some ways, as we begin to open up these passages and begin to open up this letter, the the scene is kind of set for the book of Romans in somewhat of a courtroom setting. Where the readers of the book of Romans will be allowed to enter into this courtroom where they themselves will hear a verdict spoken over their lives. 
where they will come into the courtroom, they will have to stand before the judge, they'll have to give an account of their lives and what they believe in and what they're doing, and there will be a verdict that will be given over them. And so that's kind of the theme that's kind of going on. And so the summer series theme that we will see is entitled Pleading the Fifth. Now, the fifth, when you plead the fifth in a court case, it's your refusal to testify on the grounds that the testimony that you give might incriminate yourself. So it's a refusal. It's a, it's a right that you have not to say anything. For in saying something, you might further incriminate yourself. And in some ways, that's the idea behind this whole sermon series. Is that we need to understand that in life, each one of us, not just the Romans, but each one of us, will have to give an account of our lives at some point. Where we will stand in judgment for what we place the faith or the foundation of our life in. And in that moment, some of us will plead the fifth or we will have to plead the fifth because there will be no defense that we'll be able to give for ourselves the only defense that some may have is christ himself and we're going to further unpack that so don't don't worry if you don't understand all of that right now but as we see this letter paul is giving us an example of one that has walked through this courtroom of faith Paul is is telling these Roman believers and the Roman non-believers, he's sharing with them his experience of, of how God has taken him from faith, from faith that was in himself, and changed him and gave a verdict of guilty over his life and transformed his life in such a way now that he is living in faith of Christ. For there was this moment on this road to Damascus where Paul was getting ready to go and persecute Christians, where the word of God came and spoke to him. And did you, if you remember that passage in Acts, the words were not, Paul, you're stupid. Paul, you're um, unusable. Paul, you're worthless. The words were, Saul, Saul, why why are you persecuting me? It was words of of truth that were spoken over him again. And those words cut Paul to the core. For Paul believed that he was living his life in such a way, doing, carrying out all of the laws, carrying out all of the regulations that he possibly could in a way to please God. And God spoke to him through Christ and said, I am not pleased with you. And that was a transformative moment for Paul as he heard those words of truth spoken over him. And then coming alongside those words of truth come these words of grace. And we hear these words of the gospel of Christ. And so Paul has experienced this beautiful gospel which we see him talking about here in Romans chapter 1. And so it's as though Paul, who has walked through this time and this challenge in this courtroom and is now coming to the place where he wants to share his experience with us so that we will know. So Paul is giving this letter so that we won't have to be unaware of a fact that we are going to stand in this courtroom. And in in some ways, it's kind of a twofold response or a twofold purpose. First, his first purpose for writing Romans is to warn those that have not placed faith in Christ. He's telling them, if you have not placed faith in Christ, this is what is going to beset you. This is what's going to be before you. This is what you are going to encounter. 
Secondly, he's writing this book of Romans to those that have placed their faith in Christ so that he can help them clarify, communicate, and articulate what it is that they believe, what it is that their faith is in. So if we're following this, this passage, or we're following this letter, it follows the form of a letter. And so it begins with a greeting in verses 1 through 7. And basically, in this greeting, Paul is coming to, to sum it all up, to, to show his commitment to his calling. So if we look here in, in verse 1 of chapter 1, we see that it's following the form of a letter, and he's starting out telling who this letter is from. It is from Paul. And then Paul goes on to describe himself. Paul goes on to say certain key things about himself. He says, I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. More literally, what he's saying is that I am a slave of Jesus Christ. Now, Paul, speaking to the Roman world, has kind of two different things in his mind and in his heart. Paul was a Jew, so he grew up underneath a Jewish tradition. That was his heritage and his culture. But he also grew up with a Roman background. So he had a Roman citizenship, but his, his nationality was also Jewish. So in both sense, Paul, you're going to see throughout this whole letter, as he's bringing those two things into combination together. He's continually talking about his Jewish heritage, and he's continually talking about his Gentileness, or his non-Jewish and so he's bringing those together. And the people of Rome would understand slavery. In that day, there were slaves and there were free people. There were people that literally wore chains in Paul's day to serve their masters. And so what Paul is saying is absolutely crazy to the mind of these Roman people. Paul is saying, basically, I once was a slave to my sin, but Christ, because of his gospel, has made me free. Now I have the opportunity to choose shackles. And Paul is basically saying, I have chosen to shackle myself to Jesus Christ. I've chosen to make myself a slave to him. And so that, to the readers, would have been totally crazy and overwhelming. So Paul says, I'm a slave. But then he goes on to say that I have been set apart. I've been called to be a messenger. That he's been called of God to be this apostle. I've been called to come and share this message of Christ. So he's a servant, he's a messenger, and he has this message. And his message is simply the gospel. Now the gospel is basically, when you break it down, it literally means good news. Paul has come to share with the world some good news. And what we see, he further clarifies this good news. He says this gospel or this good news has been promised from long ago. That before the foundations of the world were laid, before God began speaking things into existence, there was this plan to redeem humanity. And it involved his son, Jesus Christ. So before the foundations of the earth were laid, there was in heaven the full Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And there was this plan to redeem this world, this humanity. And that we see that all of the Old Testament, all of those verses, all of those pages of the Old Testament are being fulfilled now through Jesus Christ. We also see that there is this connection in this man, Jesus Christ, that he both is a descendant of David that has been promised in the prophets, and that we also see that he is also God. So this Jesus, this Christ Jesus, our Lord, is fully God and fully man. And he came to live this life to take our place. That's the amazing thing about this Jesus, which makes it good news. 
as though just like Ralphie, we stand condemned because we have said it, we have done it. It's as though when the punishment comes, Christ comes and takes our place. So in that simple setting, in that sense, Ralphie had to live out his consequences with a bar of soap in his mouth. You remember that? So it's almost as though what Christ has come to do is to come and to take that bar of soap and sit there on the toilet and wait for us. I know that's kind of simple. But that's basically what Christ has come to do, to take our punishment and also to take the place so that we may be restored. That's what makes Christ so amazing. As we look at his nature, God, man, we look at his work to redeem Then Paul goes on to say, this is my commitment and this is my calling. But in verse 5, he talks about a shared calling. He says, not only is this my calling, but this is your calling. Those that have believed, it is our calling as believers in Jesus Christ to go and take the good news to the ends of the earth. You see it right there. You've been given this call as apostleships or this call of apostleship that we are called to go. To tell the Gentiles, all the people out there, that they need to come to this place of faith in placing their faith in Christ. And we do this for Him and for His great name. So we see a shared calling that this letter is from Paul, but it's also kind of written to us. It's also written to the believers in Rome. So Paul gets gets through in verses 1 through 7 and gives his introductory statements. But then he talks about in verses 8 through 13, this commitment to people. Paul shows his commitment to people. He shows his love for those people that are in Rome. He sees the people of Rome just as not some nebulous body of people. But he sees the people of Rome as souls, as individual people that stand, that will stand before God at one time or another and give an account for their lives. He sees them as people in need. But he also sees the believers here as people in need. And he knows and shares with them, I love you. It's pretty neat that that verses 1 through 7 is is just one sentence. But then he goes on in the beginning of verse uh, 8 and he says, first if you follow it on through through the rest of the chapter you'll see he doesn't give us a second he says first and so he's saying utmost my first and most important thing to you is i want you to know that i love you and that i care for you i'm gonna say some hard things but i love you and i care for you but then he goes on to talk about their testimony and how he begins to build them up. It's, it's pretty amazing how I've learned in parenting that if you want your child to, if you want to teach your child, it's, it's better to start off with something that, that kind of is soft and easy and encouragement. And you sandwich that encouragement, encouragement, encouragement with challenge. So it's like, you're such, you look so beautiful today. Did you brush your teeth? Your breath smells really clean when you brush your teeth. That's lovely, right? That's motivating to want to go brush your teeth, right? Because I look beautiful. And uh, not that I look beautiful, but you say that to your kids. And you, so you sandwich it in there in between. You say the hard stuff in between two things of love. And that's what Paul is doing. He's beginning to build them up. And he's saying to them something that's amazing. And this is pretty amazing. That the Roman people, their testimony of their faith was transmitting throughout all of the world. And people were amazed. 
It's easy for people in Jerusalem. You would expect people in Jerusalem to, to come to this place of faith because Christ was there and he was around and now that's kind of the hub of where all religious and Christian activity is taking place. But not in Rome. Rome is a place where there are so many pagan gods that are ruling and reigning. People are chasing after a myriad of gods and and loving the world and loving each other and doing all this kind of weird stuff. And so for them to have faith in a world that is so counter-Christian and so counter-Christ is amazing. And so Paul was excited about that. And he, he shares with them that he has a commitment to this relationship Paul had them in his heart he could see the eternity that many of them faced and he cared for them and he also desired to be there he continually lifted them up before the Lord that God would provide and that God would give opportunities for the gospel to get there and the gospel to continue to grow in this community and as I read this passage I Remember, and I I felt just the weight of Paul's concern for lostness. You know, I think in the busyness of the world, sometimes we forget that God wants our hearts to be broken for those that are lost, for those that don't know the Lord, those that are living a life of faith in themselves or faith in something else. And so my prayer for us is that in some ways that we, that Paul's heart and mind would become our heart and mind. That we would begin to see our community and our city through the eyes of Christ. And that we would be broken with compassion to want to pray for people that are lost and want to grow and want to move towards encouraging them. Then Paul goes on to talk about, when I come, I want to come, and it will be mutually encouraging, for I will see your faith being lived out. You will see my faith, and in some way, there will be this communication, there will be this encouragement as we walk together in life. But Then Paul goes on in verses 14 to 17, and he talks about his commitment to the gospel. He talks about his commitment to the gospel. Paul is absolutely committed to sharing this gospel, this good news. He says in verse 14, I am obligated both to the Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I'm so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are at Rome. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. We see here that Paul has a motivation for sharing. He is under obligation to share. He's not under a burden to share in in, in a sense that it was a burden for him to do it, but he was under obligation just in the same way that a father is obligated to care for his children. It's not something that you, as a father, you wake up in the morning saying, you know what, I I just don't want to be a father today. I'm just not going to do it. It's too much work. It's too much thought. It's too much everything. So I'm just going to I'm just going to check out for today. But a father that's obligated to his children wakes up in the morning and sees his children not as a curse but sees them as a blessing. And walks with them every single day. 
In the same way, that's what Paul is saying, that he is obligated to share this. Not that it was a burden that he had to bear, but it was something that was written in his DNA now that God had changed his life. That is something that he lived for. It was his passion. And that every single day that he walked, he did it. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 16, he talks about this again, about the gospel. He says this, Yet when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast, for I am compelled to preach Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. So Paul is compelled to preach the gospel just in the same way as we should be compelled to preach the gospel. Then he talks about, we see this universality of sharing the gospel. That this gospel is open to everyone. It's open to Greeks and non-Greeks, to wise and foolish. That there is nothing that separates people from hearing this message. It doesn't matter where you were born. It doesn't matter the color of your skin. It doesn't matter how much you know. It doesn't matter how much you don't know. It doesn't matter how much money you have or money you don't have. It doesn't matter how much sinful you've been or how good you've been. This gospel is for everybody. But then he goes on and he says that there's this power in sharing. Verse 16, this power is for salvation. This power, this message of the gospel is the power to take a person that is dead in their sin and make them alive. Now prior to that great power, Paul makes this statement. He says, for I am not ashamed of this gospel. Now in the world we live in, we can really understand this. We live in a world where the, tells, the world tells us to be yourself, to think positive, to, to overcome your own difficulties, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, right? We hear that from the world every single day. And the world says, if you think it, it can happen. If you want it bad enough, it can happen. And so we're in this world where we are told that faith is supposed to be in ourselves. How we overcome our difficulties of world is we find them in ourselves, but Paul says, no, that's not the answer. He says, I looked there. Paul said, I tried to do it there and I didn't find this peace with God. It wasn't until I emptied myself and came to this faith in this Jesus Christ that I found life. And so what he's saying is, is that the world looks at the gospel and they see that's shameful. For in the essence of the gospel is a person that comes to the place that says, I cannot save myself. into a world where it's talked about overcoming and, and, and producing, we see that the life is truly found when we surrender. I'm tired of being self-sufficient. I can't save myself because I need the gospel to make me right before God. And so the theme as we're going to walk through for the rest of this book is in the setting of a courtroom. And to stand before a judge without fear of reciprocity, without a fear of judgment, without a fear of punishment, the, requ- the requisite for that, the prerequisite for that is righteousness. The only way a person can stand before a judge and not feel condemned is righteousness. And that's what Paul is saying here. The only way we can receive that righteousness is through faith in Christ. So the gospel reveals the cure. 
It shows us that we have a lack of righteousness. And that the key is not a key that we find through working it out, through being a better person, for having good thoughts, for taking care of things. No, the key is found in faith. The faith is what helps us enter into the kingdom. And once we are in the kingdom of God, we live there in faith. So the righteous will live by faith. My question to you this morning as we come to an end is if someone basically asked you or flat out came to you and said, where is your faith? What is your faith in? What would you say? If your hope for salvation, if your hope for being restored to God, if your hope to, to avoid your penalty for your sin, where would your faith be? If you have, if you answer to that question is, my faith is in Christ. My question then to you is, how are you living out that faith? Did you come to, to faith in Christ at the moment of salvation and have you left him? And are you working towards trying to please God with your life? If you are, I encourage you to come back to just faith in Christ. And lastly, are you compelled to share your faith with others? Do you see the needs of the world around us? And are you ready and willing to give your life to share about this faith? Now, we've just begun this morning, beginning to unpack this beautiful letter, and I pray that you join us on the rest of this journey for the rest of the summer. And I encourage you to walk through and prepare for Sundays by reading through the book of Romans so together we may come to understand and we may live out the fact that the righteous will live by faith. If during this process you have questions about your journey, if you have questions about faith, if you have questions about the Lord, I want you to, to take those questions and find those answers. I'm available to, if you have questions, just come grab me by the hand and say, Jeff, I need to know. I, you've said this and it's really just shocked me. It's really kind of rocked my world. I want to know more about that. I'd love to share with you more about that. Or take some other people that are here, those that you see standing up here or those that look like they're in leadership. Ask them if you have questions about the Lord and about this faith and about this sermon series. But today as we go, let us be reminded that the righteous will live by faith.